You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, December 18th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Craig Johnson Plumbing, serving Nevada and Placer counties since 2004. Now partnered with Clearwater and Filtration, providing water testing services, treatment recommendations, home filtration system design, and existing equipment evaluation. Information at clearwaterandfiltration.com. Automotive City, serving Nevada County since 1997. Offering complete automotive service for foreign and domestic vehicles. Also smog testing. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 at the Brunswick Y, automotivecitygrassvalley.com. Well, coming up after a look at our local headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national headline news. Then we're going to talk with Mikhail Graham, the producer of the 15th Annual Night of Giving, a benefit for Hospitality House, which is happening tomorrow night with a virtual presentation. Then KVMR's Keith Porter will talk with Peter Jaffe, the musical director for the Auburn Symphony. We'll close out our newscast with the Grass Valley Downtown Association Report with Marnie Marshall. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. Yesterday, Nevada County received the first shipment of the COVID-19 vaccine. It contained 975 doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The doses will be used to vaccinate frontline health care workers at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital in Grass Valley and Tahoe Forest Hospital in Truckee. Nevada County Public Health Director Jill Blake said that although our initial allocations will be small, we expect that soon we will begin to receive vaccine allocations each week. This is very welcome news as the arrival of the vaccine indicates the beginning of a pharmaceutical intervention that will eventually end this pandemic and allow us to return to normalcy. If you have more questions about vaccine safety, efficacy, distribution, approval, or other related questions, you can go to the State of California's vaccine page for up-to-date information. For more information on coronavirus in Nevada County, you can go to mynevadacounty.com coronavirus or speak with a local call center representative at 211-Connecting Point by calling 1-833-DIAL-211. The coronavirus toll in California reached another frightening milestone yesterday with health officials announcing a one-day record of 379 deaths and a two-day total of nearly 106,000 newly confirmed cases. California has recorded more than 1,000 deaths in the last five days. Its overall case total now tops 1.7 million, a figure nearly equal to Spain's and only surpassed by eight countries. The state's overall death toll has reached 21,860. Many of California's hospitals are running out of capacity to treat the severest cases, and the situation is complicating care for non-COVID patients. ICU capacity in Southern California is at 0%. Three Northern California counties have the highest COVID-19 test positivity rates in the state, above 20%. The data released by the California Department of Public Health showed Calusa County with a 24.5 positivity rate. Sutter County stood at 23.7 and Yuba County was at 20.1%. The data excludes prisoners and has a seven-day lag. Those numbers translate to about one in four residents in Calusa and Sutter counties testing positive for the virus and one in five in Yuba County.
Ubinet reports that Briar Patch Food Co-op has signed a lease for its second store location at the former Kmart site at 2505 Bell Road in Auburn. The 44-year-old food cooperative has served as a community hub of Grass Valley and has moved locations five times, growing from a small storefront to its current 20,000-square-foot lodestone for organic and local food. Its annual sales now top $35 million, and 10,000 people are member owners, supporting the co-op by contributing a refundable lifetime $200 equity share and through their patronage of the store. Briar Patch says that the current location at Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley has reached its maximum level of sales capacity for its size, and with a large percentage of owners and sales coming from the Auburn trade area and even further south along the 49 corridor, the opportunity was prime for a new location. The NorCal rapist Roy Waller has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. A Sacramento judge handed down the maximum sentence that prosecutors requested today, a total of 897 years to life in state prison. Politico reports that a former California unemployment agency employee allegedly used Senator Dianne Feinstein's identity to fraudulently claim $21,000 in unemployment insurance benefits this year, according to a newly unsealed federal criminal complaint. The allegation is another mark against California's unemployment insurance system, which has been beset by continued fraud complaints, including a crime ring that allegedly obtained payments for prison inmates, even as out-of-work Californians complain they cannot access needed benefits. Federal prosecutors believe that a former employee of the state's Employment Development Department, Andrea Gervais, used Feinstein's name as a part of a ploy to get unemployment money from the agency where she formerly worked. The complaint said a U.S. senator's name was used, a source with direct knowledge of the investigation confirmed that it was Feinstein's. With vast sums of unemployment aid flowing through EDD amid a pandemic-induced recession, fraud has become a constant threat. Earlier this year, local prosecutors revealed that jail and prison inmates may have fraudulently secured hundreds of millions of dollars from the state of California. And finally, Rolling Stone Keith Richards turned 77 today. Cards can be sent to your local dispensary. The weather forecast for Grass Valley and Nevada City is calling for a few clouds this evening with lows around 40. On Saturday, mostly sunny with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, clear with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, mainly sunny with highs near 60. In Sacramento, tonight a few clouds with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs in the mid-60s. Saturday night, a few clouds with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday in the Sacramento area, a few passing clouds with highs in the mid-60s. In Truckee, tonight a few clouds with lows in the mid-teens. On Saturday, sunny skies with highs in the mid-40s. Saturday night, clear with lows in the mid-teens. And on Sunday in the Truckee area, sunny with highs in the low 50s. In Angels Camp, tonight mainly clear with lows around freezing. On Saturday, sunny with highs in the upper 50s. Saturday night, clear with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday in the Angels Camp area, sunny with highs around 60. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Live from NPR News, I'm Janine Herbst. 
The House and the Senate have passed a two-day spending bill to avert a partial government shutdown that was set to take effect at midnight. This is lawmakers from both parties continue to work on a larger spending bill that includes a stimulus package to help workers and businesses slammed by economic repercussions, repercussions rather, from the pandemic. The continuing resolution expires on Sunday. The Pentagon has canceled meetings with President-elect Joe Biden's transition team, saying the priority is to focus on the response to the coronavirus pandemic. NPR's Tom Bowman has more. The move angered Biden's transition team, which said some 20 meetings slated for Friday were canceled by acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller. Miller said in a statement that some meetings have been rescheduled and there was a mutually agreed upon holiday pause. But Johannes Abraham, the executive director of Biden's transition team, told reporters there was no mutually agreed upon holiday break. Abraham said there was no time to spare because of the delay in the start of the transition process. Tom Bowman, NPR News. Federal authorities continue to investigate a major security cyber attack that affected nearly 18,000 commercial and government networks, including the state, commerce, energy, and treasury departments. This allegedly at the hands of Russian hackers. Cybersecurity officials say the hack started last spring, impacting non-classified networks, but now has expanded to the U.S. government. Senator Dick Durbin. As all the earmarks and fingerprints of a Vladimir Putin project an ongoing effort by Russia to undermine the United States, to compromise our national security, and to create chaos whenever possible. Durbin also blasted President Trump for not acting sooner. Russia denies responsibility, and the White House still has not responded to the attack. The Supreme Court dodged making any major ruling on President Trump's plan to exclude unauthorized immigrants from the 2020 census. But the decision, in all likelihood, leaves opponents of the plan the ability to block Trump's action anyways, as NPR's Nina Totenberg reports. The court said that at the end of the day, it would be premature for us to rule on the merits of this case, because at present, the case is riddled with contingencies and speculation that impede any final review by this court. The justices acknowledged that Trump, through an order issued last July, is trying to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census count, but the court said at the moment any prediction of how many is nothing more than a moving target, and the justices said we simply do not know what the president is going to do. The court split six to three along ideological lines with the liberal justices in dissent. They said Trump's actions were clearly illegal under federal law. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. And you're listening to NPR News. The Trump administration has imposed sanctions on an Argentine-owned technology company for helping Venezuelan leader Nicolas Maduro carry out recent legislative elections that the U.S.-backed opposition calls fraudulent. The company provided the Maduro government with voting machines as well as software for this month's vote. And Venezuela's ruling socialist parties and its allies swept this month's legislative elections, capturing around two-thirds of the National Assembly's 277 seats in a vote marked by anemic turnout. Elmo has two new friends, but they don't live on Sesame Street. They live in a refugee camp in Bangladesh, along with other Rohingyas who fled genocide in Myanmar. Shushmita Patak has more from Mumbai. Sesame Street has unveiled its first Rohingya Muppets, six-year-old twins Noor and Aziz Yasmin. They live in Bangladesh in Cox's Bazar, the largest refugee settlement in the world. 
Sesame Workshop, the non-profit behind Sesame Street, says the Rohingya Muppets are part of an initiative to bring early education to displaced children and help them deal with trauma. The new Muppets will appear in Rohingya language videos on math and science. In 2017, hundreds of thousands of Rohingyas began fleeing to neighboring Bangladesh after facing extreme violence in Myanmar. Almost 60% of them are children. For NPR News, I'm Sushmita Pathak in Mumbai. Wall Street lower by the close. The Dow down 124 points. The Nasdaq down nine. The S&P 500 down 13. I'm Janine Herbst, and you're listening to NPR News. This message comes from NPR sponsor Toyota. Say you're a taco connoisseur chasing down the newest taco truck in town. Now say you've got a Toyota Venza with standard all-wheel drive, hybrid powertrain, and available bird's-eye view camera. Sounds like the chase is over. Introducing the Toyota Venza. Toyota, let's go places. You're listening to the KVMR Evening News. Talking with Mikhail Graham, the producer of the annual Night of Giving, and this year it will be the 15th annual Night of Giving. The benefit to support Hospitality House.、Uh, Mikhail, this is an unusual year. I guess we got an unusual Night of Giving planned. To put it mildly, yes, it's a virtual Night of Giving this year. There's no way around it. We We're planning to actually do the show live, meaning that Joanna Robinson and I, Utah's、uh, wife, would be doing the show live and playing various clips that we've had submitted from a whole cavalcade of new artists that have never performed before and others. But as of the governor's lockdown, we basically said no, we can't do that. So now I'm having to pre-record the whole thing. You'll be able to watch it on hhshelter.org. And it'll be streaming live there on YouTube and Facebook, live meaning pre-recorded, as well as on Comcast. There'll be a version that I have to do for Comcast on channel 11 and 16, as I understand it. That won't have any asks because we can't really ask for things. But we will be telling you more about what's going on. The artists this year: Daryl Anger, Rob、Ooh. Bonner, and Christine Bonner. Put together a beautiful piece that Emmy wrote. Emmy Phelps,、uh, his late wife, Daryl's late wife,、uh, Alistair Fraser. Finally, 15 years, I finally got him and have a beautiful piece of him、uh, performing.、Uh, let's see, music in the mountains had a wonderful chorale、uh, piece、uh, in concert. Sierra,、uh, Boston Ravine, lots and lots of people. So 15 years I've been trying to get Alistair Fraser and was able to capture him finally. He's usually out on tour all our year and a little bit tired by the time Night of Giving rolls around at Christmas. It is this Saturday, the 19th of December. So that'll be tomorrow. That's、yeah. all right about tomorrow. Wow,、yeah. that's right, 24 hours from right now. It'll be a fun evening. Lots of different performers. You can find out more at hhshelter.org. I want to add as well a big thank you to all the crews, yourself, Felton, for all the years you participated, all the KVMR broadcasters, everybody that made this happen, the Miners Foundry. This is my last year producing the event. With the, the pandemic and everything, I don't see things changing back to a normal situation like this for quite a while to come. And I used to be a musician where I played and performed at these things myself, and I think I want to spend some time in my midlife time,、uh, latter <laughs> midlife time,、uh, getting back into playing more music. So I just want to say thank you to the community for stepping up all these years, making this happen. We'll see where it goes next year.、Um, Hospitality House will be letting you know more about that, but 
Again, a wonderful evening, one of the best hometown Christmas parties, and I'm going to be trying to showcase a lot of that and doing a best of this virtual 15th annual Night of Giving from 6 to 8 p.m. on Saturday, the 19th of December. Yeah, we're talking with Mikhail Graham, the producer of the Night of Giving. Now, you've been there since the beginning. Yeah. And you, of course, you used to help produce a Utah Phillips. I produced uh, his uh, award-winning album, uh, Loafer's right. Glory. Okay. Yeah, we had a great time. I recorded one of his last pieces. I'm just so grateful. And there's a, a little tribute to Utah that I put together within this night as well. What we need is the piece. And it was one of the last things he recorded. And it's just still stands up as just a testament to what we really need in every community on the planet. Let's give people a little history about this now. What happened was Utah's place is the shelter itself where okay. we are. We came up with Utah's place about 2000, what was it, seven, 14, was 14 or so, when we opened the doors there, give or take a few months, something like that. And uh, yeah, it's been, we were sheltering almost 60 people a night. Now with COVID, or we've had to cut that down quite a bit, but there's so much coming up in the next year. I can't even begin to tell you about that you'll be hearing that we'll be helping out with here. Um, you know, full disclosure, I am on the board of directors over at the uh, Hospitality House Shelter because it is something that matters to me. I had my own bout of uh homelessness many many years ago which is also covered in this virtual night of giving joanna robinson and i host it so there's a lot of us discussing the old days and the new days and where we are and what this community needs give folks the uh, the websites again hhshelter.org for more information you can find the night of giving plastered right there on the homepage. you'll also be able to tune in six o'clock till eight eight thirty on saturday the 19th of December, and I hope you'll tune in and give what you can to help support this great community cause. Mikhail Graham, the producer of the Night of Giving, thank you for all your work. Thank you, Felton. I'm Keith Porter for KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Peter Jaffe, who is the music director for the Auburn Symphony, uh, in addition to a number of other things. He also uh, is the music director for the Stockton Symphony, the Folsom Lake Symphony. He's been a guest conductor all around the nation at various symphonies and orchestras. He taught at the Aspen Music Festival uh, at Oberlin Conservatory. He was a visiting professor at Stanford. He has awards for educational program. His performances have been broadcast in a number of places. He plays the violin, the viola, the keyboard, and sometimes when he has a program featuring early classical music, he conducts from the harpsichord. So, Peter, welcome to KVMR. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for, for doing a thumbnail resume, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, you've been the uh, music director at Auburn Symphony, wh which features a number of uh, local and regional musicians. There are a number of people from uh, our Nevada County uh, little community here that uh, I know play with the Auburn Symphony. Your, your um, concert master is uh, Richard Altenbach, who's also very active in our area here. So, and, and by the way, Auburn Symphony also supports our Classics Declassified program on KVMR, so we're very appreciative about that. But it's my understanding, Peter, that you're leaving after nine seasons and that there are a number of candidates, three, I think, to replace you, but they can't be auditioned because of the uh, pandemic. So uh, we're kind of in hold on that process. Is that correct? Well, yes. I mean, they can't be auditioned yet, 
But, of course, we're all looking forward to the time when we can gather again live. And the goalposts keep moving in that dirt, you know, but, but we're, we've got some hopeful news now, and so we hope it's going to be sooner rather than later. Now, as, as far as my stepping away from the physician with the Auburn Symphony, I can't tell you uh, what a bittersweet decision that was to make because these people are absolutely fabulous. It's so wonderful that a relatively modest-sized community such as the Auburn community can sport such a fantastic orchestra. I mean, these people are incredible musicians, and it was just being overloaded with commuting and work that finally led to this decision, but I'm going to be leaving with the fondest memories, and I also wanted to make sure that when I did leave that we wouldn't be in the same sort of triage situation that we had when I first joined the group some nine years ago, approximately. Uh, I, I inherited a marvelous legacy from the former music director, Michael Goodwin, who was tragically killed in a car accident. And I called up asking if I could help in any way. It ended up being a, a, a great partnership for many years. And so I wanted to make sure that we, that we had time to have this search that you're talking about. And they have done a bang-up job. Um, Patty Wassum, who heads up the search committee, along with the executive director, Ann Brown, and the board president, Stephanie Snyder, and many fine musicians, including Richard Altenbach, the concertmaster you mentioned, they have been doing an outstanding job, and they have really fine three finalists. And so they've gotten to really the final part of the process and all we're waiting for is that time when everybody can congregate again and the whole orchestra can play together and we can evaluate who's going to be the next wonderful conductor of the Auburn Symphony. It's good to know that there are finalists and the candidates and that the process is working. It's, uh, as you say, it's bittersweet to know that you're leaving, but uh, it sounds like you made a decision that was right for you personally, and that's what's important. Uh, but Auburn Symphony is uh, like 30 years old, am I right? 30 years history for Auburn Symphony? Well, e even more than that. I mean, we're, we're 30 plus now, but, but that's approximately the right ballpark, yes. And so what has been the impact of the pandemic on, the, on Auburn Symphony? Obviously, no live performances this year. Uh, what has that done to things? For the entire orchestral universe, the, the greatest impact is, is that we cherish the opportunity to be able to perform and to communicate with our beloved audiences in a live environment. There's something so magical about seeing and hearing that synergy on stage come to life and being able to communicate with the audiences. You know, our mission is really not complete until we communicate with you. And so what the Auburn Symphony has been doing magnificently and what all orchestras have been doing is to look for any way that we can do these things online and so a lot of the Auburn Symphony members have make, been making individual sort of selfie at home videos which are really charming and they show off their talents in a very fine way uh, but we've also been mounting a few projects that are just absolutely amazing and one of them is coming out just about now which is a, a documentary about the Auburn Symphony uh, where we've had incredible interviews with with a lot of the principal players um, the only regret I have about this documentary is that we didn't have time and resources to interview every single member of the Auburn Symphony, but we've got a lot of the principals in there. And we're also releasing soon after that a complete performance of Strauss's Alpine Symphony, which is a real 
kind of bucket list piece, Keith, uh, for any orchestra to be able to, be able to play this piece is, a, a, is like a pinnacle achievement. And the Auburn Symphony did an incredible job, and so we're going to be releasing both a video of this, hopefully sometime after the new year, but already now there's available a, a CD of incredibly high quality, and it's something that that all the symphonies should be in, incredibly proud of doing. Okay, and that CD is available now, I believe, for purchase from auburnsymphony.com. And uh, we have to emphasize the .com because there's an Auburn Symphony in Auburn, Washington, that's auburnsymphony.org. So be sure it's auburnsymphony.com, and the CD's available there as, uh, of the Alpine Symphony, uh, you conducting the Auburn Symphony, right? And the documentary uh, is going to be available starting on December 21st on the Auburn Symphony's YouTube channel. And tell us a little bit about the documentary. What is that going to cover? You know, the documentary, it's hard to describe it in complete detail because it's, it's almost a good hour, but it's a lot of interviews. It, it covers, it's kind of like an historical arc of the time mainly that I've been involved with the orchestra. But it, it starts before I arrived on the scene, and there are a couple of great scenes with Michael Goodwin conducting and people reminiscing about him. And then we, we transition to the time when I was in the orchestra. And, you know, we feature a little bit of kind of a prelude in, in that way. Um, Narrative-wise, I'm talking about a prelude, about, about how we first met each other, as, as it were, in rehearsals and in concerts, and then talking about the fact that along the way we added a Halloween spectacular that's become a great tradition. Uh, we talk at a certain point about some of the great guest artists that we've featured over the years. And then kind of culminating this documentary is the whole run-up to and the achievement of being able to play the Strauss Alpine Symphony. And you even see uh, some great footage of our bass clarinet player, Robin Houston, who actually built for this event a wind machine. And uh, there are all sorts of really entertaining nuggets like this throughout the entire documentary. But I think the overall impression that you get from watching the whole thing is what an amazing group of people these are who play in the Auburn Symphony. This is an amazing collection of talents and intellects, but these people are wonderful, and when I finally have to step away from the position, I'm going to miss them terribly. Peter Jaffe, the music director of the Auburn Symphony, who is stepping away from that position, and we're all sorry about that, but uh, we wish you the very best, and obviously the best for Auburn Symphony. And one more time, a documentary on your your role primarily in the symphony, and uh, interviews with uh, symphony players is going to be available starting December 21st on Auburn Symphony's YouTube channel, and be sure to know that's auburnsymphony.com so it doesn't get confused with the other one. So, Peter, best in the future, and thank you very much for joining us today on KVMR. Well, thanks so much for inviting me, Keith, and I hope we can all keep music in our hearts. Uh, Amen to that. time for the Grass Valley Downtown Association report with Marnie Marshall. Marnie, it's been a while since we talked because of all the changes. How are things going in Grass Valley? Things are okay. You know, we're maintaining with the regulations as we can. Retail is open. Restaurants are doing takeout. Vintners, brew pubs, and top houses are doing to go. So we just wanted to spread the word that you can still shop local and 
lots of people are doing all sorts of creative things, you know, just bending over backwards to make sure that they can help out our locals get what they need. Yeah, we need to support all of our local businesses. What kind of special things would you advise people to do when they come into Grass Valley? There's so many things you can do. You can you can do things for free, like even just tell people about the great things that you saw, you know, how beautiful it is, some special item that you purchased and where you got it, and just spread the word that a lot of people have online services. You know, either they have a website or they'll make special appointments for you to come in and shop, or they might even do virtual shopping or delivery or shipping. So it's really just about taking that one extra step and checking the list of merchants on our website or giving us a call to find out who does what. We really do have a lot of what people want, and our local economy and our merchants really need the support, and they love the support they've been getting. They've been really feeling that people are trying to shop local. All right, why don't you give folks the uh, the website for the uh, Downtown Association so they can find out all the information. Okay, our website is www.downtowngrassvalley.com. And on that site, there will be a list of merchants, all 240 of them, and it lists their websites and social media sites and phone numbers. And then on the downtown holiday market section, it will list all the things that we can do. And that's in our tradition of Cornish Christmas, I'm promoting, you know, where you can get your Cornish pasties, where you can get mulled wine. Uh, Spooky Jewelers has a really fun thing where they have a snow machine that goes off at their store um, on Fridays and Saturdays through Christmas, and that's really fun. It brings up big smiles. We've got great photo opportunities, you know, big grass with a tree and a couple of big Christmas trees and a lot of great decorations, so you can come down and take pictures, and we've got a closed section of Mill Street where you can just you know, lots of room. So we do encourage people to come down, wear their masks, be socially distant, shop safely. Marnie, are there certain hours for the closed part of Mill Street, or is that permanent for right now? It is when people are open for business, generally between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. So I wanted to let people know that on Friday and Saturday, most merchants are open until 7 p.m. So that is a little bit later to accommodate for some late-night shopping and enjoying the lights and decorations. Well, it's great to hear that Grass Valley is still open for business. Why don't you give you the websites again and the phone number? Our website is downtowngrassvalley.com, and we're also on Facebook where we post a lot about what people are doing at downtown Grass Valley, historic downtown Grass Valley. And our phone number, 530-272-8315. Just give a call, and we will call you back and tell you whatever it is you want to know. All right. We've been talking with Marnie Marshall from the Grass Valley Downtown Association. Marnie, have a wonderful holiday. Happy holidays. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. We'd like to thank Keith Porter for his help in preparing this evening's newscast. For their support, we want to thank the Pizza Joint, Offering New York-style pizzas by the slice or pie, cheese or meatball manicotti, and more. Open daily, takeout or curbside pickup for social distancing. Commercial Street, Nevada City, thepizzajointnc.com.
Well, coming up next, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. I hope you have a wonderful and safe weekend.